What a great touch of God we've already had in this session tonight. And I hope that you're as comfortable as I am about what God is going to do before this service is completely over. For those of you that are wise in the ways of the Lord, when things happen the way it did through Brother Alviar, human energy can't go one up on God. And what a great touch of Holy Ghost energy we've already had in this house. And I want the pastor to know that I'm grateful to be here. I'm honored to be here. And I do believe that God has sent me for the Bible lesson for tonight. Thank you very much. You got my monitor with that button. Thank you very much. Brother and Sister Holmes, God bless you and the leadership of this church. I told my wife and my granddaughter driving over that without doubt, this is the single greatest and more impacting meeting in the Pentecostal Fellowship across North America sponsored by a local church. This is a meeting of great impact. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of 1 Kings. And I'm going to refer to just a few verses in the 6th chapter. Then I'll read most of my text in the 11th chapter. 1 Kings chapter 6. When I drove up on the parking lot tonight, and I spoke to the parking attendant. I told him that if he was brave enough, I'd be happy to swap jobs with him tonight. He wouldn't take my offer. And I'm so glad he didn't because I didn't want to stand out on that hot pavement. I'd rather try to preach. And again, let me say to you that in a meeting like this, the waves of glory will just keep rolling if we'll let it happen. And I don't say this for your response, but God's not finished here tonight. I asked Brother Nathan Holmes if this was on Holy Ghost Radio tonight, and he affirmed that it is. And there's absolutely no telling how many miracles have happened around the world tonight that heard what Brother Alviar has already preached. They don't have to be here, but when they feel this great presence, God will do the work. 1 Kings chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 11, and then finally Ezekiel chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 22. Just for the point of reference in 1 Kings chapter 6, this is indeed some of the information that the Bible gives us concerning the building of what we call the Solomon Temple. Of course, it was God's temple. I want to pull just three verses out of 1 Kings chapter 6. And those three are verses 22, 28, and 30, beginning in verse 22. And the whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. And also the altar that was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. Verse 28. And he overlaid the cherubims with gold. And verse 30. And the floor of the house he overlaid with gold within and without. And then just five chapters later, 174 verses later, chapter 11 of 1 Kings. 174 verses later. Chapter 11 and verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, 
Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wife turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then Solomon built an high place for Chemos, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, not just these that we read about, but for all of them, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. I know you're standing and you've stood most of the evening tonight, but let me visit with you for a moment before I read in the book of Ezekiel. Solomon's temple, seven years in construction. They closed the country church down out at Shiloh and they moved all the religious and spiritual activities to Jerusalem. What a magnificent building. It's estimated that silver and gold only on today's market, over $3 billion in silver and gold in this church house. Less than three years after a 14-day festival of dedication of this great house, where tens of thousands of bulls were offered, and over a hundred thousand sheep were offered, less than three years after that, the Bible would teach us and history would verify that the leader of Israel led Israel into spiritual pluralism or syncretism and brought to Jerusalem all the gods and images of his many, many wives. And it brought Israel to a state of total and complete apostasy. I want to be sure that at my time of life, and I'm now an older man, that I would not be advantageous of the pulpit and say something that would be embarrassing or even make a man of God angry. But gentlemen, it was leadership that brought this problem to Israel. He brought the false gods to Jerusalem. Such a splendid building, such a glorious building was the temple. And three years after a 14-day festival of dedication, idols and images of all kinds and sorts could be found inside its grounds and outside of its walls. And Israel had fallen to an all-time low. Ezekiel 22, reading two verses, 25 and 26. Ezekiel 22, verses 25 and 26. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They've taken the treasure and precious things. 
They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the clean and the unclean. And I've hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profaned among them. If you want to keep what Brother Alviar has preached tonight in the apostolic movement, you better double your effort and keep the world out of the church. Thank you again, Brother Alviar, for a job well done, but it falls my responsibility to address this audience of thousands of people and tell you the way to keep this great Holy Ghost move is to keep the church clean and godly. God love you. We'll see if you're ready for preaching in just a few minutes. You may be seated. This sermon is not for everyone tonight. Probably it's only for a small segment of this great audience. This sermon is only for those that are still fighting the devil. I'm sure that's a minority. Uh, This sermon is only for those that are still dealing with sinful temptation. And I'm sure that's a small minority. And this is only for the small percentage of people that understand that you haven't heard the Lord say, well done just yet. And you're still dealing with the sin issue. But for the small group that is here with me tonight that recognizes that you haven't won every battle yet, take courage. We're going to win this thing. This is no time to give up and to quit. This is no time to get shaky on the doctrine. This is no time to fall for the sly, deceiving lie from sin that if we will apostatize our holiness standards, our churches will grow. I suggest to you tonight that God will still move where people love him. And live for him. And love this doctrine. And love this message. And love to worship God. All right, now if you want to worship, let's do it first class. Clap your hands and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I've been in Pentecost for all practical purposes all of my life. And I can remember as just a little fellow sitting on the Pentecostal pew by my newly converted mother and daddy. I can remember the Pentecostal preachers of that age and that era. When they preached against sin, they called sin out by name. And you didn't have to figure it out or to fill in the blanks on the things that they were preaching against. But in those days, great revivals were held across the apostolic movement. There were miracles in the churches in those days, somewhat like we're not seeing in this generation of the apostolic movement. And I'm not here to dissect and I'm not here to determine why we can't have some of the things that we once saw. But it may very well be that we become much more tolerant of sin and much more tolerant of the things that are not of God. I still believe that if you'll clean your heart out, Christ will come in. I still believe if we have a clean church, there's not enough demons in hell that can block the move of God. 
When I was young, sin was called out by name. But when I was less young, sin was generally preached against. When I became older, sin was occasionally mentioned across the pulpit. And then in years to come, preachers would advise their congregations that it would be best not to lead a sinful life. But anymore, we are almost afraid that if we nail sin, and if we name sin, we're going to affect and offend some of our good church members. We're going to affect and offend the possibility of new converts. But let me remind you that the very reason that Jesus came was to seek and to save that which was lost. For thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So if we preach against sin in general, no one is affected and no one is offended. And at most Pentecostal churches, we can shout when we preach about alcoholism and against drug addiction. We can shout when we preach against adultery and fornication and pornography and sexual perversion. We can shout when we preach against robbing God of our tithe and our offering. We can shout and rejoice when we preach to those people that habitually miss going to church. Oh yeah, we can really shout and rejoice when we hear the old-fashioned preacher preach against adornment and the wearing of jewelry. And we can shout and we can rejoice when we hear the preacher preach about trimming the hair and cutting the hair and form-fitting clothes and ungodly clothes. That's well and good that we shout about it. But what about cleaning up our attitude? What about cleaning up our conversation? What about walking holy before God? While I am opposed to the things I've just mentioned, it's a very, very strange thing that we can preach against the habits of the flesh, but we can come to church with spirits and with attitudes that are ungodly. And that does interfere with what God can do to a church. I would suggest to you that if we for the next 30 to 45 minutes would purify our thoughts and purify our hearts before God and humble ourselves before Him, there's absolutely no telling what the Holy God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will do in the balance of this service tonight. This is no time to stop preaching against the things that are sinful. And this is no time to stop preaching the absolute revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you tonight that you're not in a Buddhist temple. You're not in a Hindu temple. You're not in a temple to Shintoism. And you're not in a Muslim mosque. But you're in a Jesus name, apostolic, Holy Ghost feel, heaven charged. You've already had the energy level way high and I'm not here to get you enthusiasm, but I'm here to tell you that this is God's house. This is God's moment. We are God's children. There's not a cancer in the house that he cannot heal tonight. A coronary victim in the house that he cannot heal tonight. And if you're listening to me on Holy Ghost Radio right now as I speak the word of faith, you can have a miracle in your body right now. Clap your hands, all ye people.
I feel like I need to get something settled early on tonight. Some of you were sitting back observing me and saying, I think all he's trying to do was to get us worked up. You've got that right, buddy. I'm sick and tired of dead Pentecost. I'm sick and tired of formal Pentecost. I'm ready for us to let God do in the church. Solomon became the king of Israel in the year of 967 B.C. Four years after ascending to the throne of Israel, he began the process of building this great house unto Jehovah God. This building was some seven years in construction, and it was finalized in the year of 957 B.C. The workforce for the building of this temple was 183,000. 30,000 of that number were Jews, but only 10,000 Jews worked at the same time. And they would work for 30 days. Then the second shift of the 10,000 Jews would go to work. And they would work for 30 days. And then the next shift, sir, can I help you? You're standing up right there. Do you want to clap your hands with me and just love the Lord? Well, you and I will have church if nobody else will, all right? One hundred and fifty-three thousand of the workers were foreigners. Seventy thousand were burden bearers. Eighty thousand were hewers of stone and wood. Three thousand were foremen and overseers. And after seven years of arduous labor, the building was finally concluded. The time of the dedication had come, and when the dedicatorial services were scheduled, it lasted for 14 days. Not only did the capital city of Jerusalem feel the impact of these 14 days of festivals and ceremonies in the dedicatorial exercises of dedicating this splendid building, but the effect of what was happening in Jerusalem was affecting the entire nation of Israel. I'm just old enough and just young enough to tell you that I believe that something can happen in camp meeting 2011 that can affect the entire city of Little Rock, the entire state of Arkansas, the continental United States of America. I'm just bold enough to tell you that something can happen here in camp meeting week that will be on the same page as Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, let it happen in Little Rock. Let it affect this city. Let it affect this state. Let it affect this nation. Be seated, please. And if you think that legislation and laws are going to correct the ills of the society of the United States, you're just completely wrong. And just for the record's sake, the elected officials in Washington, they don't have a clue to settle the financial mess that our nation is in. But I'm not biting my nails and walking the floor at night because I serve a God that is still in charge and is still in command. Fourteen days the city of Jerusalem was filled with orchestras and choirs. Chorales were singing throughout the city. Fourteen days, 24-7. Never before in the star-studded history of Israel had they had an experience like these fourteen days. The house that was built to Jehovah. The splendid house. The house that was overlaid with gold. It was now being offered unto the Lord. Twenty thousand oxen were slain. 
as a peace offering. Do the equation on that. That's 140,000 gallons of bull's blood. 120,000 sheep was offered in this great day of celebration. Do the math. That's over 200,000 gallons of sheep blood that was offered. Bands and orchestras were powering the worship to God. Singers were singing. Choirs were singing. Never before in its history had Israel seen anything like this. I really feel to say this right now. I want to applaud you for what you've had in your time past. I want to compliment on your past Holy Ghost experiences. But I'm serving the devil fair warning tonight. He ain't seen nothing yet like what God is going to do in the church in these last days. Missionary Alvear, you said it right. We got to have some shouters. We've got to have some hand clappers. We've got to have some dancers. We gotta have some leapers. We gotta rip our pride off. We've got to rip our sophistication off. Ladies and gentlemen, what a day for the Lord to move in the church. This building was overlaid with gold and it was said that when the first rays of the morning sun would cast its glorious rays upon the city of Jerusalem, that the early morning dawn rays of the sun, when the rays would kiss the golden layers of the temple, that you could see her reflection for miles and miles and miles away because the light was shining upon the temple that was built by Solomon alright so he did offer 140,000 gallons of bull's blood and over 200,000 gallons of sheep's blood listen to this we have not been purchased we have not been redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb what 120,000 gallons of bull's blood could not do what 200,000 gallons of sheep blood could not do the five and a half quarts of blood that fell from Emmanuel's veins as he fell at Calvary washed the whole world of its sin What a great 14 days it was. As for 14 days, the blood ran freely. And the Bible mentions that the altar was not large enough to hold the great number of sacrifices that was offered in the dedicatorial exercises. The very word temple by definition means palace, palace. And this was built as the palace to the great God, the great creator. This was the palace of the El Shaddai of Abraham. This was the palace of Jehovah Jireh, who was Israel's provider. This was the palace of Jehovah Rophika, Israel's healer. This was the palace of Jehovah Nisai, Israel's banner in war. And you can name all of the titles of the Jehovah's in the Old Testament. And this was the palace that was built for him to dwell in. Tonight, we're not begging the Lord to come inside of a human construction but simply know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost three years after the dedication of this temple religious pluralism had set into Israel 
The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came and visited Solomon. Only 174 verses after the sum of the description of the great palace that was built to God. He was overwhelmed by her flattery and by her comments. And slowly but surely, five chapters later, 174 Bible verses later, we can read that Solomon began to digress and to slip surely into the hands of apostasy. First, it was just excusing just the hint of a false god. Secondly, it was just tolerant with something that was not of Jehovah. Third, it was, well, what's wrong with it? Everybody else is doing it. Until finally, you could go to the smorgasbord of the temple called the palace of God. You could go through the spiritual cafeteria line of the palace that was built to God. And you could get just about anything that you wanted. If you wanted some Moloch, you could get Moloch there. If you wanted some Dagon, you could get some Dagon there. If you wanted some Asherah, you could get some Asherah there. If you wanted some Astoreth, I mean, after all, everybody was beginning to tolerate each other and the house of God became a house that you could pick and choose and get about what you wanted. I hate to tear up your little theology but it's not that way in the New Testament church. It's not that way in the New Testament church. In the New Testament church, He is Lord of all. He is still the Alpha. And He is still the Omega. He is still the first. And He is still the last. And when you come to a sanctuary such as we're in tonight, this is not a place for Moloch, Chemos, Dagon, Buddha, Hinduism, Trinitarianism. But this is the house built to Jesus. I want you to listen carefully to a poem that was written over a hundred years ago. The church and the world walk far apart on the changing shores of time. The world was singing a giddy song and the church sung a hymn sublime. Come, give me your hand, said the merry world, and walk with me this way. But the church hid her snowy hands and solemnly answered, Nay, I'll not give you my hand at all, and I'll not walk with you. For world, your way is the way that leads to death, and all of your words are untrue. Nay, said the world, but walk with me but a little space, said the world in a gentleman and kindly air. The road I walk is a pleasant road, and the sun always shines there. Church, your path is thorny, rough and rude, but mine is broad and plain. My way is paved with flowers and morning dews, but church, your way is filled with tears and such pain. To me, the sky is always blue, no want to toil, I know, but the church, the sky above you is always dark, and your way is always woe. Come now, church, there's room enough for you and me to travel side by side. Have Charlotte the church approached the world and gave him her hand of snow and the old world grasped it and walked alone saying in accents slow church your dress is too simple to please my taste. I'll give you pearls to wear. I'll give you rich velvets and silks and from your graceful form and with diamonds I'll deck your hair. 
the church looked down at her plain white robes and then looked at the dazzling world the church blushed as she saw his handsome lip with a smile contemptuously curled I'll change my dress for a costlier one said the church with a smile of grace then her pure spiritual garment drifted away and the world gave in their place beautiful satins and shining silks roses gems and costly pearls while over her forehead her bright hair fell crisped in a thousand curls church your house is too simple i want you to build one like mine said the world with walls of marbles and towers of gold and furniture ever so fine so the world built a costly and a beautiful house more splendid to behold her sons and her daughters dwelt there dressed in purple and dressed in gold but instead of church there were rich fairs and shows and the church halls were held and the world and his children were indeed always there laughter and music and feast were heard in the place that was meant for prayer there were cushioned seats for the rich and the gay to sit in their pomp and their pride but the poor and the clad in shabby array sat meekly outside church you give too much to the poor said the world far more than you ought to do if they they are in need of shelter and food church why let their need trouble you go take your money buy rich robes buy horses and carriages fine buy pearls buy jewels and dainty food buy the rarest and costliest wine my children they dote on all these things and if you their love will win you must do as my children do and walk in the ways they're walking in so the poor were turned from the doors of the church and the church heard not the orphans cry but she drew her beautiful robes aside and the widows and the orphans went weeping by then the sons of the world and the sons of the church walked closely hand in heart and only the master who knoweth all things could tell the two apart the church sat down in her ease and said I am rich in goods increased I have need of nothing or ought to do but to laugh to dance and to feast the sly world heard and laughed in his sleeve and mockingly set aside the church is fallen the beautiful church her shame is her boast and her pride the angels drew near the mercy seat and whispered the church's name then the loud anthems of rapture were hushed and the church was covered with shame and a voice at last was heard by the church from him that sat on the judgment throne I know thy works how thou hast said I am rich but thou hast not known that thou art naked poor and blind and wretched before my face therefore from my presence cast I thee out and blot thy name from the heavenly place now for the next 15 minutes I'm going to preach probably the most unpopular sermon in the Pentecostal community in North America beginning like this you cannot look like the world and have the blessings of God you cannot talk like the world and have the blessings of God you cannot live like the world and have the blessings of God love not the world neither the things that are in the world for if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him he has called us out of darkness I think that the Lord has joined Brother Alviar and I together tonight for a very spiritual moment for the apostolic movement 
What a beginning salvo was heard across this pulpit on what God can do if we'll be shouters. But I want to advise all of you that are giving up the fight and you're surrendering the doctrines and the cornerstone message of this church. I want to advise you that the church that Jesus built is still an apostolic church. It is still a beautiful church. It is still a Christ-like church. It is still a dynamic church. It is still an energized church. It is still a faithful church. It is still a glorious church. It is still a helping church. It is still a heavenly church. It is still a holy church. It is still a joyful church. It is still a justified church. It is still alive and a living church. It is still a lovely church. It is still a merciful church. It is still a miracle church. It is still an obedient church. It is still a perfect church. It is still a precious church. It is still a praying church. It is still a praising church. It is still a prevailing church. It is still a pure church. It is still a redeemed church. It is still a righteous church. It is still a revival church. It is still a sanctified church. It is still a separate church. It is still a sinless church. It is still a spotless church. It is still a spiritual church. It is still a triumphant church. It is still a victorious church. I don't want you to think that I'm preaching to the Pentecostal choir tonight. But ever since I've known Brother Holmes and I've been his guest in this pulpit, I have felt nothing but perfect liberty when it comes time to preach. But I really feel that a vast number in this audience tonight, you're beginning to think that if we'll be a little more like denominational churches, we'll stand a better chance of winning them. You don't live like a sinner and win a sinner to Jesus. Be seated, please. Be seated, please. If we'll sing more rock and roll and contemporary music in our churches, we'll get more coming to our churches. Now, I'm not taking a pot shot at new songs, but some of this rock sound that you can find in some apostolic churches, there's no way it can be of God. It's okay, you let me work by myself for 20 minutes and I feel the Holy Ghost with me right now. And I'm going to preach what God has brought me. Do you honestly think that by putting jewelry and adornment on the church is going to make the church more beautiful? Do you really believe that form-fitting and revealing clothes will make the church more beautiful? Do you really... Somebody's got to say it, folks. It's time to take a stand. My generation of the apostolics, and I say this to my own personal shame, my generation of the apostolic seems to be convinced that we can find a way if we work hard enough to find common ground with the Trinitarian doctrine. I beg your pardon. There's only one God. And he is, please be seated. Please be seated. Please be seated. And that one God is not defined as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, as three separate distinct persons. But I would come to you in the Word of God and tell you that there is but one God, the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Ghost in salvation. For there are three that... 
For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Sit down. You want revival in your church? Go home and preach the oneness of the Godhead. You want miracles in your church? Go home and preach Christ and Him crucified. Come up here and stand by me, Brother Jackson. I feel strength in you, son. Just come stand by me. I looked at him tonight. I looked at Brother Shoemaker. I looked at Brother Wade Townley. I looked at Brother Devon Mills. And I don't want to leave any of you out. But I want all of the next generation of preachers to know that we're not going to give you a prostituted gospel. We're not going to give you a contaminated gospel. God Almighty! Jesus spoke about his believers as a city that is set on a hill and it cannot be hid. Jesus Christ spoke of his church as a candle that no man can cover it up. I haven't come with a bunch of feel-goodism to you tonight, but I need somebody to believe what I'm preaching. We're about to blow this thing wide open. Not Little Rock, but the end time. For it shall come to pass afterward, saith the Lord. I will pour out of my spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. First of all, we're built on the revelation that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. He's not one-third God. He's not a fraction of God. He is God, manifest in the flesh. Call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. The Bible proves his deity. History declares his deity. Prophecy accents his deity. Christianity testifies his deity. Philosophy reasons his deity. Literature writes his deity. Music sings his deity. To explain his deity is impossible. To ignore his deity will be disastrous. To reject his deity will be fatal. But to know his deity is to love him. And to love his deity is to believe him. And to believe his deity is to let him work in our midst. We're built on the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. Please be seated. My God Almighty, it's been a long time since I have felt the surge of the Holy Ghost in my soul that I feel right now. Let me tell you people something. If there's one thing Satan does not want you to do, that is to give credibility to that name that is above every other name. For you see, the name of Jesus is a holy name. The name of Jesus is a revered name. The name of Jesus is praised forever. The name of Jesus is a pleasant name. The name of Jesus is a wonderful name. The name of Jesus is a holy name. We ought to exalt that name. We ought to praise that name. We ought to praise him with the clapping of hands. We ought to praise him with the dancing, with the shout. We ought to praise him with a loud voice and magnify his name. For there's no demon. There's no demon. There's no demon. There's no demon. That's it. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to go with Brother Alviar tonight. 
He said, shout and the Lord will do a work. But I'm going to bring to you what really pulls it together. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Shout to that name. years after the greatest festival of dedication be seated please three years after 14 days unparalleled in the history of Israel three years after 14 days unlike those that Israel experienced thousands of bulls thousands of sheep hundreds of thousands of gallons of blood that was spilled bands were blaring singers were singing all of Jerusalem was filled with the festival of dedicating the palace unto Jehovah the temple the palace to God the entire nation was affected by this phenomenal monumental moment never before had it happened but three years after it was over images and idols false gods and false worship desecrated the same palace of God you can come as you are you can get what you want it was a smorgasbord there was no standards there was no dress limits come casual if you want to come casual but put me on record and this is not planned for me to say but it comes to me right now preacher if you are a preacher dress like a preacher talk like a preacher walk like a preacher I told Brother Wayne Townley a moment ago that this will be my last camp meeting to preach the Lord willing. But put me on record. Put the old son of a sharecropper on record. That you ain't going to win nobody in tight blue jeans and shaggy shirts. And thinking you're trying to look. You are a man of God. Dress it. Live it. Act it. And preach it. Boy, the church really enjoyed hearing the sharecropper preach that. Well, sit down, preachers. And I want the church people to hear me that this is the house of God. When you come into this house, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Walk into this place shouting joyfully unto the Lord. Fill the house with a shout of worship. An hour is over. My hour is over. My hour in the sun is over. But you hear me. You're not going to start preaching like the world preachers, singing like the world singers, dressing like the worldly churches, and have a book of Acts revival. We are a chosen generation. We are a peculiar people. We are a royal priesthood. We're the church. If I lose friends tonight in the ministry, 
It's only because of my supreme aggressiveness to try to help you. But when Ezekiel spoke in chapter 22, he spoke of the priest or the ministry that they put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither can they show the difference between the clean and the unclean. Uh, Pastor Holmes, I really feel like tonight that some of the audience at camp meeting 2011, they've already choked me up as just an old man that's riding off in the sunset. That might be the truth, but I still know the difference between sin and righteousness. but you better hit that pulpit and preach against sin man I feel the Holy Ghost with me tonight but I also feel everything that hell has in its arsenal trying to block this tonight but I've come to serve hell notice it's a holy church it's a clean church it's a blood bought church it's a spirit filled church be seated please Would you give me a few minutes to enjoy the moment? Brother Kite, inasmuch that this is probably my last camp meeting, just let me enjoy the moment. It goes like this. He's deity in the heavens, and he's deity on the earth. He's deity in the atmosphere, and he's deity in the stratosphere. He was deity in the womb of Mary, and he was deity in the tomb of Joseph. He was deity in the manger, and he was deity on the cross. He was deity in Jerusalem, and he was deity in Judea. He was deity in Bethlehem, and he was deity in Bethany. He was deity in the wilderness of temptation. And he was deity on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is deity at the pool of Bethesda. And he's deity at the pool of Siloam. He is deity on the Mount of Olives. And he's deity on Mount Calvary. He's deity at the Jordan River. And he's deity at the Sea of Galilee. He's deity in their synagogues. And he was deity in their temple. He was deity at the tombs of Gadara. And deity at the graveyard of Bethany. Deity to wipe away every tear. Deity to blot out every sin. Deity to cleanse the leper. And deity to cleanse the sinner. Deity to feed the hungry. And deity to quench the thirst. Deity to stop a woman's bloody issue. And deity to stop the storm on Galilee. Deity to Nathaniel at the fig tree. Deity to Zacchaeus at the sycamore tree. Deity to the thief at Calvary's tree. If he's not deity, he's an imitator. If he's not deity, he's an impersonator. If he's not deity, he is an imposter. But ladies and gentlemen, he is none of the above. But he is in fact the great I am. And in him there is all power and all might and all authority and all salvation and all deliverance and all healing and all revival. I heard Pastor talking about when he was 
a boy. I just thought I heard another word from God and I wanted to be sure it wasn't my hearing aid here. Pastor talked about the early camp meetings and the old bass drums. Coming originally from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, I can remember those days when those old preachers would get the old big bass drum strapped around their shoulders. And they didn't just play the drum just to get enthusiasm and excitement worked up. But it was an action of worship. It was an action of worship. And they were totally unashamed to step out in the aisles and to beat that drum with an old piece of a tambourine. But in my lifetime, I can well remember when those dear old great men of God would lead that kind of worship. I can remember people throwing their crutches down and running around the building. I, in my lifetime, can remember people getting out of the wheelchairs and moving around the building unassisted. I can remember that cancerous diseases would be instantly healed. Why? Because joined together in spiritual matrimony was an effort to love God and worship. But beside that, they looked to Jesus as the author and as the finisher of their faith. And when they put those two elements together, there was not enough demons in hell. There was not enough doubt in the house to block the move of God. Would you stand with me? To the ministers that are here tonight, on this, the sixth day of August, the year of 2011, I feel that the apostolic movement has come to perhaps her final crossroads. Which way from here? What from here? Echoing and reverberating in my soul are the words of the commander-in-chief Joshua. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Echoing and reverberating in my hearts are the great old prophet from Tish, Elijah, that said, How long shall you halt between two opinions? If ever the Lord has sent me to address an audience, whoever you are and wherever you're from, and you may be from some church across America, but you cannot hold on to worldliness and have a walk with God. It's absolutely impossible. Walk with me. Walk with me. It's impossible to have both the hot, the cold, and have a move of God. You can't mix it together and become lukewarm. Ladies and gentlemen of Pentecost, the hour has come to make up our mind once and for all. If we're going to have revival, let's quit talking about it and let's have it. If we're going to have the miracles, let's quit talking about it and let's have it. If we're going to be victorious over Satan and sin, let's quit talking about it and let's have it. I would like, if it's convenient, I like for a man to go shoulder to shoulder with men. And ladies, I'd like for you to go hand to hand. Would you find a lady, lady? Would you find a man, sir? Step away from your wife. Step away from your husband. Man to man. Lady to lady. I want this little low prayer begin to swell. Come on. 
Let this little low prayer begin to swell. Let this little low prayer begin to swell. Let it grow to a great crescendo. Pray for the man that you're that you're holding. Pray for the lady that you're holding. The price tag on every one of you. Satan has a compromise to cut you. Here, Brother Odom, tonight, don't cast your lot to the world. Stay with the church. Stay with the church. Compromise in the doctrine is an error. Stay with the doctrine. Compromising the holiness is an error. Stay with sanctification. Go find a preacher. And if your pastor is here, go find your pastor.